So you're saying you want another episode of People Are Wild. My lord, y'all are needy in this new year, but I like it. I like it a lot. Once again, it's me, Kim, your friendly neighborhood nurse. Thanks for coming back for another dose of whatever the hell this thing is. So just some corrections and follow-up. I realized that in my first episode, I apparently hit 88 miles per hour in my minivan and time-traveled and thought it was 2008. Fergie would be so disappointed that I am 2000 and late, but I do know it's 2018. I think I might just be in a little bit of denial, and I'm refusing to acknowledge that my high school reunion will be coming up this year. Disgusting. I didn't attend the first one, and I plan on going zero for two. High school reunions are so bizarre to me because we live in the era of social media. Why would I want to see you in person when I've been creeping on you via your Instagram and Facebook for two years? I know you're married with two kids and moved to Colorado and you shill for LuLaRoe and Avon, Katie, and stop inviting me to your parties. This is an ultimatum. But speaking of social media, please to be following the show on Twitter at PeopleAreWild. I am still getting the hang of the world of podcasting, but so far it's been a lovely reception except for the guy who flashed me on my morning run, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't dissing this podcast. Although if he was and he knows who I am and where I live, that's impressive and slightly creepy. And I apologize for pointing and laughing at your junk today. Moving on, let's get down to it. I am currently wearing my favorite onesie. I have lit my Britney Spears prayer candle and listened to the Spice Girls wannabe on repeat for the past hour. So I'm ready, if you're ready, to talk about how people are wild. It's 1am and you're staring a hole through your ceiling as you lay in bed. For whatever reason, you just can't sleep. Your brain won't calm down. You've been racking your mind about the potential whereabouts of Mambo numbers 1 through 4 and hell, is Lubega even still alive? P.S. I fact-checked that, and he is alive and well, residing in his home country of Germany. Which, P.S. P.S. Lubeck is German. Like, did you have any idea about that? I had no idea. It reminds me of Boney M, like that German electro-pop band that sang in English about Rasputin. The one that's like, rah, rah, Rasputin. That one. Oh, my gosh. So much cross-cultural, it's like a regular international house of pancakes. Well, if Alba can do it, anyone can. Back to your restless night. You got up about an hour ago to make some sleepy time tea that, at this point, failed to do its job, sir. And now it's 3am? Oh my god, it's 3am. You have to be at work. In, like, six hours? You have to be up at least in four. And you know what? Screw it. It's gonna be a long and awful day thanks to insomnia. So maybe one of the most common sleep issues we have all encountered is insomnia. Insomnia is defined as difficulty falling or staying asleep, and in the modern world we live in, a vast majority of us have experienced it at least once. In fact, the National Institutes of Health estimates that roughly 30% of the general population complains of sleep disruption, and insomnia is the most common sleep disorder in the U.S., That's according to the National Sleep Foundation. Wouldn't that be like a great job to work at the National Sleep Foundation? You'd fall asleep on the job, but you'd just say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just doing some research. That's probably like working at CERTA, like the mattress company. 
And you're like a product tester, you get paid to sleep. You literally have a dream job. How amazing. You know what, if this nursing thing doesn't work out, call me up, Serta. Call me up. Now, some more statistics regarding insomnia to help pad out this episode. In a 2005, oh my god, that's 13 years ago. A 2005 National Sleep Foundation poll found that more than half of people reported at least one symptom of insomnia, insomnia being difficulty falling asleep, waking up a lot during the night, waking up too early and not being able to get back to sleep, or waking up feeling unrefreshed. So, more than half of people reported at least one of these happening at least a few nights per week within the past year. There is also another statistic stating that 33% said that they had had at least one of these symptoms every night, or almost every night in the past year. The two most common symptoms experienced at least a few nights a week in the past year included waking up feeling unrefreshed and waking up a lot during the night. A 2002 National Sleep Foundation poll found that 63% of women versus 54% of men experienced symptoms of insomnia at least a few nights per week. Now, some other polls have found some interesting trends associated with insomnia. For example, 68% of adults aged 18 to 29 report experiencing symptoms of insomnia, compared with 59% of adults aged 30 to 64, and only 44% of people over the age of 65. So basically, the younger you are, the more susceptible you are to experiencing insomnia. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but it is kind of interesting to note that basically over the age of 65, which is what you would assume would be retirement or at least semi-retirement, you sleep better. Shocker, I guess. Not surprisingly, also part of this poll said that parents report more insomnia symptoms than adults without children in the household. Go figure? Who is that going to surprise? Like, that last one reminds me of stupid research that confirms the obvious. You know those studies that come out that are, like, scientifically backed, but they say things that we all know already? Like, drinking too much booze is bad for you. Or trying to ingest five pine cones in one sitting is probably bad for you, too. I also find it reassuring to know that from the age of 18 until around 65, insomnia will both ruin and rule my life. Tell me something I don't know, Sleep Foundation researchers. I've probably had insomnia since I was a preteen, okay? But that's more so because I was a stressed out kid. I blame growing up with the mighty morphing Power Rangers and having to wait every week on Saturday to see if Kimberly and Tommy were still together. And kids today, you guys don't know that struggle. You binge watch everything, you marathon all your shows. You don't understand the struggle. So for a select few people, they will actually legitimately check into the ER for insomnia. That's their complaint. That's it. I've seen it so many times. So many times. Just to spend some time, though, regarding this, these people that check in with difficulty sleeping do sometimes have something more to the story. We see it with mental health concerns, such as when people hear or see things that aren't there, having auditory or visual hallucinations that in turn lead them to not being able to sleep. Or some of them have taken a medication that they might be having some sort of reaction to, and as such, restlessness and insomnia is also part of the equation 
on top of something else that might be going on. That always warrants more of an in-depth assessment as to what is going on with that person. But then there are the people who check into the emergency room at 2 a.m. because they cannot sleep. That's it. Point blank and the period. That is the reason why they came to the ER. And the best thing is that they'll tell you that this has been going on, on and off, for months, sometimes years. But they just picked tonight to see if we could help them. It's like, listen, dude, we've all had nights where we can't catch a break when it comes to sleep. But what are we going to do that you haven't done at home? Well, more than likely, we'll advise you to take something like a Benadryl. Or maybe we'll give you a medication and a prescription for something else. But either way, you're going to follow up with your own doctor. Talk about them. Talk, sorry, to them about your insomnia and possibly consider further testing like a sleep study. These aren't things that you come to the ER for that constitute a medical emergency. Insomnia is not a medical emergency. Or is it? Hmm. Fatal familial insomnia. Fatal. Well, that's kind of a harsh word. Fatal familial insomnia, or FFI, is an extremely, emphasis on extremely, rare genetic condition that impacts a person's ability to sleep. Now, before you WebMD yourself and Dr. Google tells you that you have it, let's just break down what this condition is. Like finding a working link to old episodes of Temptation Island or the greatest soap opera ever, Passions, FFI is an extremely rare find. In fact, on a global level, it is estimated that only 40 families have this genetic condition. Uh, it is caused by prions attacking the thalamus part of the brain and leaving the sufferer in a state of non-sleep that spirals into progressive deterioration, which ultimately leads to death. What the hell did I just say? Okay, the thalamus is the part of your brain responsible for your sleep-awake cycle. Lord knows I've messed with my thalamus with my erratic work schedule. Holla at me, fellow third shift and graveyard shift workers. We're just a bunch of night owls working on our night hoots. You know it's true. The thalamus also plays a key role in the brain's communication system with other parts of the brain. Kind of like checks in with it and is also a bit of a shot caller, definitely a bala. It receives intel regarding what's going on with the rest of the brain while also telling the body when to wake up and to go to sleep. By the way, do you ever kind of get tripped out by the fact that the brain just go, you know, went and named itself? Like, just think about that. But don't think about it too hard because you'll get a headache. Anyways, moving on. Your thalamus is the sleep-wake master. Call it the Sandman because it brings you some dreams. So with FFI, the thalamus doesn't work correctly due to prions. What the hell are prions? Well, they're not a spin-off of the minions, so we're good with that. What they are is something super complex, so I'm going to try to keep this from being too technical. Please bear with me. Okay, when healthy proteins in the brain are misfolded, and this misfolding is triggered by a genetic mutations, remember, FFI is a hereditary condition that is passed down on a genetic mutation. So, this misfolding is happening, and when it occurs, it creates what doctors call prions. 
So think of it like being an X-Man with a mutation that doesn't cause you to be cool and invincible like Wolverine or like my girl Storm and control the weather. No, this mutation causes your brain to attack itself through the buildup of prions. I would knock on Professor Xavier's door and tell him I felt cheated and duped. And much like when a teen mom shellacks a little too much mascara, the buildup of this prions leads to the formation of clumps. Clumps destroy nerve cells. Nerve cells being destroyed is bad. You cannot replace those in your brain. Once they're gone, they're gone. And eventually, these clumps that have destroyed these neurons, which is nerve cells, eventually leave these sponge-like holes in the brain. Now, do you remember over a decade ago, mad cow disease being this big deal? Well, that's a prion disease too. It too affects the nerve cells in a progressive way, kind of like FFI. And do you remember going to your family reunion that year and having that one cousin who turned vegetarian because of mad cow disease and now won't shut up about how the burger you were currently eating was going to kill you? Because we all know a cousin Sheila. And you know what? I wish you sincerely good luck with your vegan fish food business. I hope it turns a profit. So this doesn't happen all at once. This happens over a period of time. And I'm talking like years. And so as the disease progresses, it's destroying more of these nerve cells in the thalamus, your sleep-wake ringmaster. This process can be ongoing, like I said, for years, but the symptoms of FFI don't show itself for a majority of sufferers until around the age of 52. Now, some of the um, studies that have been done have shown that people have developed symptoms as young as 18 or as old as 72, but the average age, it seems to be around 52. You would think that symptoms of FFI would be all at once, like you would just get this onslaught of symptoms, but it is that progressive deterioration of the brain's nerve cells. So it causes a progressive decline in your physical and mental health. So think about the time when you were last sleep deprived going on and no sleep. It might have been because you were babysitting sick kiddos. It might have been because you were studying for a test. It might have been because you just couldn't get to sleep and you've just got no sleep. But what did you feel like? You probably felt exhausted, not just physically, but also mentally. And depending how long you had been without sleep, you actually might end up kind of throwing some micro sleeps especially if you still needed to maintain being alert and awake beyond not being able to go to sleep, especially in 24 hours. So microsleeps, they kind of are that thing that happens when you fall asleep and you nod off for like a second and then you come back to, like when you see people kind of do the head bob and then they startle themselves back awake, that's a microsleep, all right? And usually... That's kind of what's happening when people fall asleep behind the wheel for like a second, quote unquote, but that second was actually maybe 30 seconds. And oh, great. Now they just rear-ended you, which as an aside, actually did happen to me. And unfortunately, I was the person who fell asleep behind the wheel. I had worked a double and I was going on no sleep. Then I had to drive for a few hours 
right into the back of someone's car, apparently. No, actually, I had to drive for hours right after I had gotten done with my shifts. And I thought that I had nodded off for a second. Just one. One second. Because I had been doing that whole nodding off and then coming back and nodding off and coming back for a majority of my trip. But this time when I jolted awake, I also was driving on the freeway at top speed. Um, This just is a horrible story. And... The ending is okay, I promise. Um, But when I jolted awake, I had enough time to tap my brakes, just enough to slow down to the point where I didn't end up smashing and careening off of another vehicle into somebody else's, and I just rear-ended this person. Um, I walked away from the accident, so did the other person. Our cars got repaired, thank goodness for insurance, and I was lucky, but I was also a dumbass. Trust me. I know that. Um, But now when I do long hauls and and I have to drive for a while, I have this sweet, sweet sleeping setup in my van. And I have a system that you would just need to experience for yourself for when I pull off at rest stops to make sure I don't get murdered in my van. Um, Murder van would be like a really cool band name, by the way. And so um, it's like the IMAX pretty much. You got to just be there to experience how I do this. But I understand a lot better now about the importance of listening to your body and going and getting sleep and not just gutting it out and driving through the night. And you know what? Sleep is way, 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 way important. Um, and you cannot just skip over it. it. It is just so paramount that your brain rests, that it gets to that deep sleep the good sleep where you dream. That sleep where you get like the drool stain on your pillow or maybe on your significant other. It's like that good shit your brain needs in order for you to mentally and physically function in society. So imagine if that was just taken away. Imagine if you could never get to that deep restorative sleep stage and could only get into that light stage of sleep where you wake up at like the slightest little thing and you just can't cross into deep sleep. Your brain is damaged and it's malfunctioning and it's full of holes like Swiss cheese and it can't get you to that state of sleep. It just can't do it, Captain. That was horrible. That was so bad. Uh, I apologize to Scotland for that. But the point is, well, the point is this. At some degree of the disease progression, you're never going to fall asleep again until you die. That's just the nature of fatal familial insomnia. Now, the symptoms can start off actually not being insomnia. In fact, for some people, the first symptoms can be termed as a progressive dementia. Now, this can begin as forgetfulness and confusion, Um, just as another quick aside, if you've seen that movie Still Alice, where she gets that early onset dementia, it's somewhat like that with the forgetfulness and confusion and then that progression into full-blown just dementia and Alzheimer's and the bodily functions becoming, um, impaired as well. It's also a really good movie, but it's really sad. So maybe watch that with a friend And if your friend is a bottle of wine, there is no judgment from me. 
So when the insomnia actually begins in FFI, it usually comes on suddenly and then steadily worsens over a period of a few months. From the time that the insomnia starts, most sufferers live 12 to 18 months before actually dying. Other symptoms of FFI as it begins to progress can include panic attacks, phobias, weight loss, lack of appetite, and having high body temperatures, or I'm sorry, extreme body temperatures, be it too high or too low. Also included can be high blood pressure, episodes of hyperventilation, excessive sweating and salivation, and or erectile dysfunction. And as this disease continues to progress, most people with FFI also develop abnormal, uncoordinated movements, hallucinations, severe confusion, and muscle twitches and jerks. And there are some videos of FFI uh, that you can find on YouTube, and you can find people suffering from it, and they videotape them just trying to walk, and they need assistance just even walking like a few steps from their bed to the door to the sink. They are just so impaired, and it's not because, uh, for lack of trying, it's because their brain, like, again, it's, think of it as Swiss cheese, it's not functioning anymore at a normal level because it's misfiring. There's a tripwire that has happened, and now the brain has gone haywire. It's trying to sustain itself, but it hasn't had good sleep in, like, what, 12 to 18 months? You're gonna be walking around uncoordinated. So the best way that I thought about this to explain it would be think of it as the worst night of drinking you've ever had in terms of like how badly you were on your feet and how unsteady you were with your balance and how horrible your coordination was. And you know what that means. You know when you're good and you're feeling great. You're a little buzzed, but it's not bad and you could still get around. You could still party on the dance floor and you could throw it down. And then suddenly, you're not so good. Nope, not good, not good. If that wall doesn't come over here, and if you don't, if you just let go of me for five seconds, I'm going to say hello to the floor real fast. If you don't have something there to brace yourself against, it's going to be bad news bears, right? We've all had those nights. Don't lie. And so, like, you do that stagger and you can't even figure out how to get from the taxi up to your front door without assistance, and then you gotta try and unlock your door, and that's so much coordination asking too much from you at that time. So, think of that, but in everything you do and progressively getting worse, because, again, your brain can't do this right. You haven't been able to sleep. You haven't been able to restore your brain to its normal functioning level. And things as simple as keeping you upright and walking and balanced suddenly become such a chore. And although the dementia that began as forgetfulness and confusion sticks around for a little while, it eventually leads to this inability for people to walk completely walk and sometimes even to talk and communicate and so as this disease just gets worse and worse and you're just deteriorating suddenly this it just happens to be that you just have this total inability to sleep and there's nothing there's not even light sleep anymore and that's how you know you've reached the end of the disease that's how you know that's it 
Now, there was this uh, ABC News special that I found, and it was called The Family That Couldn't Sleep. And it does a great job talking about the background in terms of how uh, this disease got discovered. And it's something that is really interesting to read. Um, <clears throat> if you want a link to it, just let me know. If not, you can always just, you know, listen to this podcast and be like, yeah, that's good enough. <laughs> but it does talk about how um, these Italian researchers went to somewhat of like a haunted, um, uh, what was it? It was in a ha- it was a haunted like in um, mental hospital. And it just talks about this really cool research that they did in order to figure out maybe who the first family was that that had this disease. And so I highly recommend reading the article. And then if you could find the special, um, that also would be something that you might be interested in viewing. Um, There's also a book that is titled the same, The Family That Couldn't Sleep. Uh, It's by D.T. Max. Those are the initials D.T. Who wrote about FFI and then also is mentioned in the special. Also mentioned, though, in that special are these two sisters, Carolyn and Cheryl. And they talked about how their mother, Barbara, kept the FFI diagnosis from them until she was attached to a ventilator. And when their mom reached that near point, like I was telling you, where it was like, this is it, like, you reached the end. Um, they actually were able to remove her breathing tube and she um, wanted to communicate to her girls, but she just wasn't making a lot of sense. And then she really couldn't talk because she had had the tube in for a while and it just left her throat really irritated. So they were able to get her something to write with and she wrote the letters FFI and a question mark. And her one, her one daughter told her that, yeah, that's what they think it is, mom. And the other daughter, Carolyn, said that she was so frustrated with their mother. And she said, quote, my first thought was, how dare she keep this from me? I may not have had children had I had known. And Barbara didn't know it when she died, but the odds were 50-50% that she had passed it on to her daughters. Um, that's just, you know, it's a genetic mutation. It's a hereditary disease. And every child that's born from a parent that has it has a 50-50% chance of having it. So Carolyn goes on to say, whether I do or do not have this disease, it cannot define me. It cannot define me. And her sister Cheryl also echoed it, echoed this mindset in the special and stated, quote, it's my story. I get to choose whether to laugh or cry about it. It's my choice. I'm going to laugh about it. It's my day. It's my life. She could have written for Bon Jovi, y'all. Given the opportunity, though, to take a simple blood test to determine if they had inherited the disease, Cheryl outright said no. And she said, quote, for me, I look at it as I can go and they can tell me that I either do have this or I don't have this and I can die in a car accident on the way home. I might just easily as die from cancer or really anything. We all have a terminal something. And if we live long enough, we're going to die from something. That's just the way it goes. But her sister Carolyn, who at this point had had one child already and was pregnant with her second, and this was in 2008 that they did this, 
she originally decided to not get tested with FFI for for the FFI uh, mutation as well. And she said, quote, it's it really wasn't a consideration. You know, should my my mother never have been born because this is the way she was going to die? That's insane. Should my uncle never have been born because this is how he would die? That's that's crazy. They were both wonderful, intelligent, loving people. But as Carolyn moved into the last months of her pregnancy, she had a change of heart and mind and decided to take the blood test. And so when she was asked about why she had this reversal, Carolyn stated, quote, it's hanging over me all the time. Some things I might do differently based on the result, like retirement. I don't want to be like my mom working all her life. I'd be more prepared for my daughter, she said. And then Carolyn states that she just remembers the day clear as crystal for when her blood test actually came back. And she said, quote, I left work. I went to the office and I had waddled in. Remember, she's pretty pregnant at this time. And she said, I recall taking the envelope, going out to my car. I took a deep breath and I opened it up. And the results for her were negative. She had not inherited FFI. She said, quote, it was a hallelujah moment, end quote. But Carolyn still was worried about her sister, Cheryl, who did not want to take the blood test and did not want to know if she had FFI. And as an aside, I've been doing a lot of asides and like digressions to on this episode. So I, I'm just, I'm just going all over. So I apologize. <laughs> but my biggest thing that I kind of drew from this is like genetic testing causes such a big dilemma for everybody involved. Because most of the time when you're doing genetic testing, it's because there's a possibility of a life-altering diagnosis being hung in the balance. Like, do you really want to know that your lifespan is finite and that there's an expiration date to it and possibly, like, this is how you're going to die is to be exhausted and then you're going to die of insomnia? Like, what do you do if you were handed that positive test result and you're in your 20s. Would you even want to start a family? What if you're already married and, you know, you're in the case of uh, Cheryl and Carolyn where you have started your family? You have had kids. Do you feel guilt and anger over the fact that no one told you before you had kids? And do you feel the guilt of, like, what if they go through this? So, you know, you, you have to just make that choice. And it's not just for FFI, it's for anybody who does genetic testing for whatever reason. I just find that there's so much courage in doing that and then going from there in terms of what decision is best for that person. And that can be a whole like episode or series worth of things with genetic testing, but there is just such a personal level to it that I commend people for um, doing it and then making informed decisions based upon the results. So for Carolyn, she knows that her children will not inherit FFI because she did not inherit it. So it stopped with her. She didn't have a gene to carry on to her children. But what if Cheryl ends up developing it? What will happen to her? Is it going to be a repeat of their mother? Because while there are some blips of hope regarding breakthroughs in researching and treatment of FFI, 
there's no cure for it at this time. And if that isn't enough of a downer, and really there's no easy way to say this, but there's a form of this called sporadic fatal insomnia. It happens suddenly and without any family history of FFI in the person afflicted. But here's my big but, and I cannot lie. It needs to be noted that this is an incredibly rare, like super rare diagnosis to the point where I think in the article I read, there's maybe about 10 people worldwide who have died from this condition. And it's characterized as presenting like FFI, but because if there's no family history of it ever happening, sometimes the individual can be misdiagnosed with early onset dementia or Alzheimer's until an autopsy is performed and then the accurate diagnosis of sporadic fatal insomnia is made. But let me stress again, this is a super rare condition and more research is needed to understand its disease process better. Now, there is another good documentary on YouTube that I found that talks about FFI and sporadic fatal insomnia, and it's called Dying to Sleep. Uh, It profiles a family in the States, I believe they're based out of Rhode Island, if I remember, who they have FFI. And on this one scene, they actually have their family tree and they've marked the people who have died from FFI. And the one um, family member talks about how the where they think it started from. So it's kind of interesting because it does give you a visualization of how FFI does essentially wipe out part of a family. Um, So I thought it was a good documentary, but it wasn't the greatest because it does get a little bit too technical with its jargon and terminology. And it is a bit of a shorter length of a documentary, so it has to move kind of quickly to get in all of its topics and all of its stories and interviews. So it assumes that you know certain things about the sleep cycle and how the brain works with sleep. But I think if you really want to know what people with FFI look like in terms of their behavior and their mannerisms, you should watch this documentary because they do have a portion of it where they have um, the actual footage of people going through FFI um, in the later stages. And they're actually kind of spooky looking people. Um, They really look like corpses. They're pale. You can tell they're exhausted. They're emaciated. And they're just staggering about. They're uncoordinated, right? They're just like zombies. I mean, that's a horrible way of saying it, but they really, really look like zombies. And these people, I swear to you, have the most intense under-eye bags, like, that I have ever seen in my life. Like, no amount of preparation age will help that. But then again, I had to consider that if my body had been physically and mentally not resting for months, like a year to a year and a half, you better believe my under-eye bags would look worse than Christian Bale's Batman in The Dark Knight, okay? Which, why so much eyeshadow? And that gruff voice, why? Why was that a thing? Give me Adam West's Batman drinking buttermilk on the same bat time, on the same bat channel, anytime. Any time. And that, my friends, is a brief overview of when insomnia actually might lead you to the ER. But for most people you will not go to the ER for a sleepless night. I repeat, you will not go to the ER for a sleepless night. 
got it. Clear, crystal, good. But for some people belonging to a family with a history of fatal familial insomnia, a sleepless night can be the beginning of the end. While this condition is fascinating for an outsider like the most of us, for families with it, it's a countdown clock towards an inevitable outcome. So it's a bit of a downer. And I know it is. I, for whatever reason, have talked about some rather heavy material for my first couple of episodes. So let's do our little palate cleanser, which means that's our cue for the newest favorite game that you have ever played. You got what stuck where? Again, here are the rules. I give you four clues. You tweet to me at peoplearewild with your best guesses for what you think got stuck and where in the body it got stuck. And the person who is first with the correct answer, or the most correct answer, gets some stickers while I post the image of the object, and I post the image of the x-ray in this case, that was, um, that shows what was stuck in the body. So without further fanfare, let's play You Got What Stuck Where. Clue number one. The patient involved in this case was a British man in his late 20s. Clue number two. The incident happened because he wanted to do something romantic with his girlfriend. Oh, it's a little intriguing, right? Clue number three. He ended up going to jail because of the item that was stuck inside him. So now you're just really confused, I think. Clue number four. And our last clue. The item in question is worth thousands of dollars. So those are your four clues. Give me a tweet like the Rockin' Robin that you are at People Are Wild with your guess. You might need to think outside of the box for this one, but don't overthink it. And I look forward to seeing what everyone's guesses are. Um, thank you guys for giving this a listen. Still trying to figure out my flow. Still trying to hit up my stride. But you guys stuck it out through episode two. I am grateful for each and every one of you who listens and offers me feedback and sometimes constructive criticism. I do have feelings they don't get hurt too often, but sometimes a little twinge of a feeling does get a little offended. Um, But in this case, we're good. I'm just talking about my personal life at my job sometimes. You know, I get a little emotional about patients that ask me to get them water for five times in a row and they can't have water and they just don't get it. Oh, but that's neither here nor there. Please feel free to send me suggestions for any topics you'd like me to discuss via Twitter, or you can email me because I finally got my shit together and made an email for this podcast, which was probably the only productive thing I've done all day besides emptying out my computer's trash bin. Two chores done. Thank you. That email that I have is peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. So it's peoplearewildpod at gmail.com. Hopefully that's not too hard to remember. Uh, I'll make sure to put it in the notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can definitely do so through email now. So I wish you guys nothing but the best for the week ahead. And please remember to give yourself a break. Believe in the good, smile often, and I'll see you guys next week.